Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full stack development team with top talent, that costs half as much as in-house developers. And you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk. We guarantee being on time and on budget. Or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io and let's talk about your SaaS MVP today. Today I have Corey McCain. He's the CEO and founder of We Strive App. We Strive is a health and fitness SaaS for personal trainers. Today, we'll discuss how Corey came up with the idea, how he funded the MVP, and talk about his path to grow We Strive app to 30,000 MRR. How are you today, Corey? I'm doing incredible. Thanks for having me on the show. Great. Excited to have you. So why don't you start by telling me a bit about your background, like uh, who you are and and your background. I gave you a quick intro, but just give us a, sh- uh, you know, the sort of shortened version. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't have the typical, I don't know if there is a typical SaaS background for founders, but there's definitely not. No. So I'll just say what yeah. I am. So um, I have my accounting degree and basically, yeah, I just, I got, right out of college, I had an idea for a fitness app and then kind of learned tech and startups and angels and all that fun stuff kind of along the journey. So to come from like a business side of things and then also in regards to personal training, I have a fitness background. I uh, did weightlifting competitions for years. I worked at a bunch of gyms. I did a gym owner mentorship when I was just 17. So always been super into the fitness and gym space. And that's kind of combined mm-hmm. with my business got me to where I am. Okay, great. So um, when did you graduate university? Uh, 2015. Okay, so you got out of uni and essentially... Did you start being an accountant or did you pretty much know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? So kind of neither actually. Well, I guess more the latter because I I did want to focus on this app. So I had the idea for this app um, 2015 February, not this app, sorry, like the original app, which is part of the story. So um, basically I worked like full-time or part-time jobs for several years, kind of just like living my life, trying to figure out the original marketplace we were trying to build. And yeah, just basically kind of just made things happen, made a ton of mistakes, hired the wrong dev team, you know, brought on the wrong investors, brought on the wrong partners, launched the wrong platform. So about three and a half or four years of just mistake after mistake after mistake was that original platform. Um, but uh, yeah, as soon as I had the idea, I knew I didn't want to be an accountant. Um, that idea ended up not working out, which was why we pivoted to a SaaS. But originally, I knew right when I graduated that I was going to be working on this platform for as long as I could. Okay, so you're in university, you're already into health and fitness, you're lifting, and you've got some building your network in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the original idea? So the original idea was basically... I noticed that there were so many personal trainers that I knew that had these amazing fitness plans that they were building. And then they would kind of just sit on shelves after they give it to one client or to be in an Excel document or in some book somewhere. 
And then on the other side, I noticed that my friends and I and everyone I knew was looking for fitness programs and you'd go to Google or you'd you know ask someone like, how do I get my squat up? How do I lose weight? And I thought it was weird that there wasn't a marketplace for these trainers to sell their fitness programs where people could just go in and filter through like uh, 30 minutes a day bodybuilding. Uh, I want to lose a little bit of weight too. And I've got $50 for a program. But that was weird that that didn't exist. So that's what we started working on. In conclusion, years later, we like after all the mistakes, we finally launched that before the pivot to the SaaS. But what I realized is we were more serving a want than a need. Um, so by that time, by the time I finally launched, Nike and Gymshark and all these other companies had so many of their own apps that you know were less expensive than ours and were way prettier and had you know like Alex Rodriguez and stuff selling plans and it was just hard to compete. So. We had about 250 trainers by the end, 500 full-length fitness programs. So we were the best marketplace for fitness programs that you could find. And they were all from certified trainers. But ultimately, it was more of a want. The trainers thought it was cool. But what they really wanted was a way to actually run and scale their business, which is what the SaaS that we have today is. Okay. I think I understand. Um, but I want to understand better like what the SaaS is doing. But go mm. back into some of the mis- – I'd like – to dive into some of the mistakes um, because that's, you know, where people can learn from your mistakes and Absolutely. I presume that you've learned from. So tell me first about hiring the wrong dev team. Like how did you find the dev team and what was wrong with them? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, again, I'm saying this, don't look at this as who I am now. Look at this as this was like five or six years ago. Well, no, you're green. You're yeah, just yeah. out of university. Exactly. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're doing a passion project. You're an accountant, you know? Absolutely. And I, and I also wasn't living in like San Fran or LA. I was living in a town called Sheeney, Washington, which is like 10,000 people. There's no tech mm-hmm. for like seven hours. So, um, yeah. I was building my, um, I had like a little website built on Wix and I had like Excel documents and my friend walked by and she's like, this looks like crap. Like, or I don't know if I can cuss, but you know, it looks, this looks terrible. Uh, and she was like, I, I work at a media company and we have developers that you guys should, you should work with. And I said, oh, that's amazing. I don't even know any developers. This is so cool. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I ended up hiring this whiz kid, quote unquote, who had built yeah. the town's local like basketball app for a tournament. Um, Mm -hmm. turns out his dad was the developer. So like his dad kind of helped him with it. But anyways, I wanted him to build what we ended up having years later was this ultimate platform for fitness programs with hundreds of trainers and social media walls and all that fun stuff. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it was him. And then they brought on another guy and another guy and I ended up spending like 40 grand on this platform and it was just, it wasn't working. We couldn't get Android to go. It was like seven, eight months late off of the already late date that I had. And by the time we finally launched, I honestly just scrapped it and just moved on to the next. Like I just, I found a new development team and just had to pivot because it was, it just didn't even work. Like the app barely functioned. Like he would say it's ready. I would click on a page and I'd be like, I can't even log into the app. Like I can't, you told me it was ready. I gave you $40,000. So my advice to entrepreneurs when they start is always when you're, especially whether it's a SaaS or whatever you're building is to make the app, to pick like two or three features that you really care about. And focus mm-hmm. on those um, because I definitely chose the wrong dev team 100%. But I think if I had said, get rid of social media, get rid of profiles, all that stuff, just give me programs, mm-hmm. I think the app might have been more successful or at least so like slim it, it down. Start. Exactly. So it really slim. We, we, I mean, it sounds to me like, well, so first of all, how much time was he saying that it was going to take him to make? So you had like four modules or something. Was he saying yeah. five months? 
Uh, so that- we raised the money in June of 2016 for that first one. He said it was mm. going to be live by September, and it was just programs too. It wasn't even that. It wasn't yeah, that okay. crazy. We had profiles with a bio. And at the time, you'd click on the bio, and it was just this long text document that would pop up. Um, it was uh-huh. just so ugly. I didn't, I didn't even know. But trainers couldn't add their own programs back then. It was just I had to manually add them. Um, but we finally ended up launching. He said September. And then I was like, cool. He said it's going to be ready in two weeks. And I opened it. And I couldn't even – nothing worked. Literally zero things worked. So we didn't end up launching until mid to late January. And in retrospect, now that I have my dev team and we know what we're doing, it's so crazy that that app was in like able to launch, like people were able to download right. it because it was so just like disjointed all over the place and just a nightmare. But yeah, we're about six to seven months late, I think on that, or maybe five months, something like that on okay. the launch. What what made you keep getting continually sucked in? Was it, mm-hmm. did you pay them up front or how was the payment structure? I mean, um, well, I didn't know any better. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, I, I was just like, oh, this is how apps go. Uh, this is how it, yeah. and actually within that story is an even worse story. Because the web developer, because there's another guy, the web developer on that project. So how it worked was we had this program builder and essentially I would take all the trainers programs and I would take them from Excel. Some some of these programs are like four months long and I would Mm -hmm. manually type them into the program builder so you could follow them in the apps like bench, three sets of 12, attach the photo from bench to bench and then do that every single day. There was no duplicate day. There was no duplicate week. Oh my gosh. It was just like basically you're writing these programs up by scratch. Exactly. I was rewriting them. And not only that, but I was attaching a photo to each one. Yeah. What I would do is I would Red Bull all day. I would work like 16 hours a day, literally just typing these programs out. I did that for about four or five weeks straight. And Uh then I got done and my developer, the web developer goes, oh, um, we messed up on the code. We did something wrong. We're going to have to restart. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you have to re-put the programs in because we did something wrong. In retrospect, such bullshit. <laughs> but like yeah. at the time, I had no idea what that meant. So I redid that whole process. I redid every single program, typed in everything, five weeks of that. And then he said the five same weeks thing again. Five weeks 16-hour days and you had to do it again. Just literally typing. Wow. I didn't know what else to do. Man, I had no, that's I just, a big one. I had to make it work. And the same thing happened again. And then I, I got halfway through development and I was like, there's something wrong with you. Like, I feel like I could figure this out more than you can. And what, what happened was I realized that around, because I had about 160 programs at the time and I realized around program 65, the app would start glitching. And mm-hmm. so what ended up happening is I can't read code, I, but I went into his code. I was just control F searching for the number 65 and I found it somewhere. And I was like, you put somewhere that there was a cap on how many programs could be in there. Oh or something along gosh. those lines. Yeah. Okay. And so we deleted that line of code and everything worked. So I wasted like oh 10 weeks because uh, yeah. I did it a third time. So anyways, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> it's a great story, not for you, but for no. <laughs> others to hear, right? So just yeah. to get, but how did you extract yourself from that? You just basically, you mm-hmm. just said, I have to move on. You What was it? Was there a breaking point or what was? Um, I don't even remember what the, the well, what's, well, this is just such a stupid story, but like, the kid went to college, so like he was now like I can't work on oh, this anymore. Okay. And then and then he was like, because he was just graduating high school when this happened. It's like uh-huh. so stupid, the whole thing. Or no, he was in college while he was trying to update the app as we went on. Um, yeah. And then the Android wasn't working, and I was just like, this is so frustrating. Like I I don't even know how to keep going with this process. So I I don't remember what I did specifically, but I moved to L.A that year. And I was just like, I'm just going to move to LA. I joined an accelerator out there and I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. So um, we found a new dev shop, thankfully, out of nowhere. Through the accelerator. Um, what was the uh, accelerator? Expert Dojo. Um, it's different okay. now. 
it's in Santa Monica. Yeah, it's a pretty cool platform. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what they're doing these days, but this has been a few years. But I joined that one, uh, moved out there, super broke. I had to sell my old car to just uh, like pay rent. Mm-hmm. So just scrapped away. I was like yeah. Ubering. Classic app- startup. Yeah, exactly. Classic startup journey. Yeah, exactly. So how much would you say the Accelerated contributed to the the success of that next? I guess you're, you're going into the marketplace was the next sort of ideation mm-hmm. of the program, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we went from the original app, which was me manually doing everything to the next version of it, which was, okay, now trainers can actually like do this themselves kind of a thing. So um, I love Brian that runs it. I love Expert Dojo and they're way better now. But at the time, uh, I kind of moved to Santa Monica for the program and Mm -hmm. they were in a transition phase from like, we're kind of going to do online. We're kind of going to do in person. So there were some days where I showed up and like no one was there to teach us. Like I would drive and I was staying in an Airbnb in Hawthorne and I had to go all the way in Uber to Santa Monica, which is like a $40 Uber. And we had 10 weeks and two of the 10 weeks I showed up and literally no one was there. We just sat there and worked and then left. So Mm -hmm. it was super disappointing. I love Brian. They have an amazing program now Mm -hmm. and like people all over the world are a part of it. But I think I was just in a really awkward phase. like, Like just as they were getting going or something maybe. Yeah, well, I think they were going and then they were like, they were trying to figure out what's going to be new. And I think they kind of just forgot about our cohort, I think. Uh, okay. So it was, it was unfortunate. So I didn't learn a lot, but they're, they're great. And I'm, I'm happy for the relationship I have with them. Okay. Tell me about finding the next dev team. Cause you mentioned they're from Ukraine. Do you hmm. still use them? Yeah. So it formed an incredible relationship. I've been with them three and a half years. Um, they have equity they've invested. They're basically my dev team, like at this point. Um, yeah. So I found them really randomly I was applying to an accelerator that apparently they offered for like a month. I happened to find it. And then he DM'd me back and he was like, we don't have an accelerator anymore, but we offer development for partial equity. And I was like, well, that sounds amazing. That's what I want. So let's do it. And then since then, we've been working together. So um, that's just totally randomly. Yeah. Okay. And so what was the structure? Like, tell me about that structure. Like, uh, what are the rates and like mm-hmm. what, what kind of equity I presume that it's vested over a certain amount of time? Um, is it yeah. capped? We've had such a weird relationship like because there were so many months where I couldn't pay the development and I had to like mm-hmm. pay them back over time or they'd be like, you know what? It's cool. Like we'll take equity for that. So um, they don't have like 20%, but they have a decent chunk of my company at this point. Mm-hmm. At the time, I believe... They were super lenient with me the whole time. I think I gave them like X percent, like maybe a couple of percentages. And then I was paying mm-hmm. them. Like if you go overseas, you typically pay like, let's say like 30, 40 an hour or something like that. You mm-hmm. can pay way less if you want. But I was paying probably around like 20 to 30 an hour, maybe 15 sometimes for like designers yeah. and stuff like so that. It basically, it was kind of like a buy-in. So you'd be mm-hmm. covering maybe some of their hard costs to pay exactly. there. Exactly. And then and the rest was equity. So or exactly. sweat equity for them. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's transformed so like now now they have their percent and then we don't even really know what they've put in at this point. It's just like there's just so much But you still like, get a dev bill every but it's just at yeah, reduced rate. It's just very okay. much reduced. At this okay. point at this point cuz they have enough equity, I'm basically just covering their hourly rates. And so but they're obviously now vested, they're Mm-hmm. interested in they come up with their own ideas oh yeah, uh, yeah you know absolutely. like so they're like actually you know there's a better way to do this which is what you want your dev team to be yeah they right? yeah they're constantly especially my ux ui guy he's so incredible and he's constantly 
I'll send him something. He'll be like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And we'll, we'll get in actual arguments. Um, so that's what you do want too, is you don't want to always be the person that's like, no, 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 I'm right. You want people that are actually like coming back at you with better ideas. And like, cause most of the time he ends up being right. Like he'll convince me for why he's right. So that's what you really yeah. want. So yeah. is he your CTO? That was my UX UI designer. So okay. at this point, I have a tech lead. I haven't officially made him, but he's he's essentially my CTO. Um, like we okay. have a call with a huge- But he's the guy, like the project lead in the Ukraine? Yeah. So any tech issues he solves within like, you know, 20 minutes, like he's on everything. So I don't call him my CTO. We have a big call tomorrow with a, a huge fitness investment group that I'm excited about, but he's going to be the guy that like is acting as my CTO. So I just haven't okay. given him the title, but he he's my right. CTO. Yeah. Okay. And his English is fine. It's a little broken, but like he speaks fluently. It's just like the accents yeah. really thick. So yeah, exactly. Okay, great. So tell me about the marketplace then. You mentioned the MVP price. Can you just go into that? Because that sounds like a pretty big price for an MVP. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's kind of um, disjointed because you went through the marketplace and then you pivoted to a SaaS. So maybe just kind of break down the whole MVP story. And how yeah. were you funding this? Was it like sort of self-funded? You got a job or um, it, yeah. was it friends and family or... It was mostly, well, at that time it was mostly self-funded. I don't know how I did it. I really can't tell you. I would wait tables. I would Uber. I would do, it. what was frustrating too is there was a point where I was waiting tables on Venice Beach and I was making three to 400 bucks a shift, making so much money in tips, just like loving mm -hmm. my life. But then I was always broke because yeah, I was- because it's all going into the, yeah. Ex exactly. It's all going back into the SaaS. Exactly. So my ex was super frustrated because I, like, I could never buy anything for her. But then I was working so hard in two jobs. Like I was literally just working 24 seven. Um, and I felt bad because I was like, also for myself, I'm like, look, I'm working really hard. I just have to fund this company. And we didn't have investors. Mm -hmm. Like I, I would get the occasional 5K or the occasional 10K, but there was never big money at that point, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, basically self-funding it. I think because we ended up launching, I found my dev team in 2017, um, September, we ended up launching our, the which was the last version of the marketplace before we pivoted in June of 2018. And I want to say we put about like 80K into that, that new update, including equity. Because it, again, I poured my life into the social wall, the adding friends, the profiles. We, we had so many features, like being able to share your workout results in the mobile apps marketplace. And it's just like, it was all things that were just pointless. No one cared. It was, if anything... Really? What yeah. I tell founders now is never put a social wall on there until you're like a massive platform because what would happen is people would sign into WeStrive even with our version last year, which I'll touch on in a bit, but they sign into WeStrive and they would see the wall and it would be empty because I asked myself, I wouldn't even post on the wall. And I'm like, if if I'm not posting on the wall, why would some random person post on the wall? So you, in this case, you're described, the wall is like sort of a... Uh, like, like a, a feed, Instagram network. or Twitter. Yeah, feed. like a feed, okay. Exactly. So, but it was just like, what I realized is that if you don't have the, the features that an Instagram or Twitter or Facebook have, then people aren't going to use it. Like we didn't have the ability to post videos. You couldn't tag people in it. Um, like you couldn't mm -hmm. go, such a great workout at my trainer. Like you couldn't do that. So we were missing a few things like that, which made it kind of just pointless to use the feed. Um, so yeah, it was, it was okay. a waste for sure. So would you say the biggest thing that you learned about building this MVP was that you just really just get the bare bones out? So in mm -hmm. this case, it just would have been the programs. Yeah, exactly. It would have been the programs. And we had a, 
personal record tracking. We had journals. We had body weight trackers. Like we had all these amazing features. It was just like we couldn't but nobody, make them but better. no users, right? Nobody was telling you that they wanted these things, right? Exactly, just... exactly. And ultimately, the point of the whole marketplace story is that ultimately we realized that the trainers just didn't care that much. They thought it was cool. Um, but what they wanted was a, a, a SaaS platform to run their business essentially. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So essentially you launched the, the marketplace, you opened it. How was the reception? I mean, what was, what was the reception like when you launched? Yeah. So, so two points to that. The first point is that I had a huge launch party in Santa Monica. We had at expert dojo, which I'm again, grateful for. We had about 120 people show up. I had influencers. We had free alcohol and food and drinks, all that stuff for everyone. And Apple pulled my app from the app store that morning. So what happened, and and because I've learned my lesson, so I didn't mention this, but in my 2017 launch with the small development team in, in Washington, they had done the same thing. We tried to launch and they pulled us. So I learned my lesson. So mm-hmm. when we launched in 2018 at the, with the launch party, all that stuff, I made sure my app was good to go. What I did was in, because uh, I was in June and in April and in May, I submitted the app. Like we still, we added like some small like texting things and that kind of stuff. But like I submitted the app and it was cleared, cleared, approved, approved. It was in the app store. Then we pulled it both times to make sure that it was ready to go. And nothing would happen. Apple pulls it the morning of the launch party and they say, hey, um, whoever approved it the last two times, uh, they shouldn't have done that. That was their mistake. And have a good day. That was it. There's no and like. So you found out this. This is the morning of the of the launch. It's like nine a.m. on the morning. Party, yeah, yeah. And I had people. I had, I had friends flying in from around the country. And, it, yeah. and the worst part about Apple is they don't. There's no like. Here's a gift card. No, you can't. Like, you can't like negotiate with them. You know. It's yeah. Like you're just done. Yeah. yeah. So, so at the launch party we had we had like a, a bartender and people checking you in and that kind of stuff. It was legit and like a beautiful rooftop looking over the Santa Monica mall. I got the beach mm-hmm. right there. Like you can't think of a better launch party. Like today I want that launch party and we're years later in the, in the company. Um, mm-hmm. And people showed up and it was like, do you have Android? And like one out of every 10 would say yes. And then the rest, we had them put their name on in an email on a list because the app wasn't live yet. And then of course, weeks later when we relaunched, no one downloaded it from that email list, but yeah, but whatever. Yeah. So it was like we gave toasts and stuff, and it was just it was a fun night, and I learned to like get over it. But like it was just super annoying yeah. and embarrassing. Um, but the second point of that is that we had the what happened. The reason they pulled us is because we weren't using their pri- their Apple payments because there's Apple Pay and then and then like actual in app store payments. We weren't mm-hmm. using in app store payments, and we were using um, BrainTree like a plugin, and so they were pissed at that. And so they pulled us because of that. So, um, but they they had approved it a few more times. But anyways, we had to take our entire marketing budget and put it into two or three weeks of development to redo the entire pricing structure of our app. And I had to go through all 500 programs and plug them into the app store to make sure that they're now part of the app store and not part of our payment system. And by the time we relaunched, it was like late June. It's summer. No one cared about the launch party. We had no marketing Mm -hmm. budget. And so, like, with that being said, we still sold a couple grand worth of programs right away, which was cool. But, like, ultimately, I realized that we weren't going to make a lot of money off of this. And then the whole time, trainers were like, oh, this is cool. But, like, where do I put my clients? Like, how do I manage my clients? Mm -hmm. And then they kept asking that. And I was like, screw it. We're going to restart again. (laughs) We're just going to switch to SaaS. So I looked at our competition in the SaaS space. And I realized that they were all really outdated. They didn't have any modern designs. Their customer service was terrible. And I was like, I know for a fact I can do a better job of this. 
and mm -hmm. we didn't have any money, but we just got to work and I got some small angel investment here or there and we just got to work. Yeah. So, so was it literally scrapping everything? That whole 80,000 was like, could you reuse any of it? Like the app at least? Or? Um, part of the app was reused, but the thing is we were updating most, the whole design interface was updated too. Because when we ended up relaunching, I had still made the mistake of trying to keep the marketplace in there. So we were the SaaS platform combined with the marketplace. And it wasn't until two months ago to this day that we got rid of the marketplace altogether. Because ultimately, I still wanted to keep that marketplace in there and I wanted it to be a, a part of the app. But I finally realized about seven months ago, eight months ago, that it was just unnecessary and no one cared. But but yeah, we, we kept some of the elements. Like Unfortunately, we kept the social wall after the mm -hmm. update and all that stuff. That nobody uses still? Nobody's that no one, yeah, we don't have it anymore, thankfully. Okay. But yeah, so basically we spent all half of 2018 and all of 2019 because I had no money. I ended up just working a full-time job. I kind of just had to like live my life for about a year and a half while we scrapped together to get this SaaS money going. We launched last year really early, basically, you know, missing a ton of features, didn't have like the functionality we wanted. But we had some early traction. We had like, you know, 10 trainers that were paying for it and they thought it was cool. So we're like, okay. So what I did is I spent the entire year of 2020 interviewing trainers and working on this new update that we have now. So basically I did over 500 interviews with trainers and I was just asking them basically, what are you looking for in the platform? Uh, what features are we missing? How can we, how can we help you? How can we be better? And that's mm -hmm. the new SaaS that we have today is that like that update. Yeah. Okay, so that's great. It's great that you did that. I th not enough founders do that. Um, yeah. You obviously have, you're very motivated, you're hungry. Tell us about some of the, like, what are some of the questions? Because you probably got much better at going between, you know, zero to 50 and 450 to 500. Yeah. Tell me how that progressed, the questions that you asked, what did mm -hmm. you learn from that? What's cool to like to go towards the 500 part of it is I again the biggest investment group I'll, I'll ever work with yesterday and I, I really hope they put money in but uh, we partnered with them or we started talking with them yesterday and I had a team of six it was like their CTO and product manager all these people and they had me do a product walkthrough and it was so amazing because I'm like oh pff, like I've done this 500 plus times and I just yeah, I yeah. flowed through it it was just so easy for me and I feel like I totally killed the pitch because I'm like. I do this three times a day because to this day, I still do one or two trainers. Like I have a demo call after this podcast. Like I just, I still like to be involved in, in the trainer community. Yeah. But anyways, when I first started, uh, it was me just like desperately like, okay, you're not going to sign up because our sign up field, it was so terrible. And one thing with SaaS that people need to figure out is the, making the sign up as simple as possible. Before mm -hmm. we had it where you'd make an account and then we had two branches and it was like, do you want to be a marketplace trainer and sell your programs in the marketplace? Or do you want to work with clients? And they had to choose one. It wasn't just and they both. don't at this point they're just looking at this and so they don't have any idea. Right? <laughs> exactly. What's they're a like, marketplace? Like, what, what, what does that mean? I don't know what you mean. You tell me. I'm signing up. You tell me what I want to do. Exactly. It was so confusing. And it, but in my head, I was so into this marketplace concept that I was like, they mm -hmm. have to have a part of that. They have to choose it. So we ended up taking a few months to scrap that and figure out a new platform. But anyways, it started off with just like, you know, here's the app. What do you think? And what I noticed is, and a lot of people and investors will tell you, like, don't get into a feature battle. Don't get into a feature battle. You're going to just keep building feature after feature. And what I noticed is that there, you don't want to get into a feature battle. But with that being said, there are times where when you enter an industry that already has established competitors, you have to have those minimum features. Like, for example, on ours, like we are just now adding group chat because we were like, mm -hmm. we just added so many things this year. 
And I have so many trainers that like will literally cancel or put a pause. They'll be like, hey, I'll come back in like two months, but I have a hundred clients. I'm going to pay you guys 200 bucks a month. I have to have group chat. So we're like, yeah. cool. So adding group chat. So it was stuff yeah. like that. And it was around May of last year that I got a really big slap in the face and I had to take a step back and go, oh, I was completely ignorant and I'm not the smartest founder in the world. And because what, what happened was call after call after call, I would think this feature is stupid. We're never going to add it. And then trainers would go, actually, that would really help my business. I would love to have that feature. And I had to go, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And it would happen again and again and again. So what I learned from call zero to 50 to call 450 to 500 was actually write down what these trainers are saying, have like a notes document written down. And then mm-hmm. you can start to go, oh, wow, like 12 trainers ask for the ability to have a preview photo when you're building a program versus just showing the text there. Because like mm-hmm. when they type in barbell bench, they know what a bench is, but it's nice to just see a photo. You know what I mean? Just like you can kind of visualize the program better. Right, right. And I went at first, I thought that was the dumbest idea ever. And then we added it. Every trainer loves it. So it was stuff like that that I learned over time. So what would you do now when it comes to adding new features? I mean, it's, do mm. you are you sort of shy to, it's like, oh, you have an idea and you don't want to do it and so you have to verify it? Or like, what's your innovation mm. route to get new ideas and features? Yeah, so I'm huge on product and I basically have every single update that we're going to add for the next two or three years already designed and ready to go. It's just a matter of like more funding to build those. But basically what we do is we have our product roadmap and then along that roadmap, we'll take a little pivots based on if trainers are asking for certain features. Like for example, this month we were planning on adding, we just added the group inbox. We we're planning on adding the update to add like the stones system for like the UK where you can like measure in stones and not just KG and in, in pounds. Yeah. So we're planning on adding that, which we're still going to add, but we're taking a little pivot because we had, we had like five trainers in one week ask me for the ability to build out like a warm up in the program and then save it as something like my favorite warm up, and then be able to apply that across all your programs. And trainers kept asking for that. So we're like, cool. So we're going to take a little pivot. We added that feature. It's going to come out in about a week and a half. And then we'll go back to the next thing. But it's it's okay. kind of like... How do you capture the feedback? I mean, is this like you on the phone taking notes or are they submitting it through some kind mm-hmm. of a plugin inside the app? So I want to add a plugin inside the platform. I haven't added that yet, but we've been super open and honest with all of our early trainers. We have hundreds of trainers that are on the platform and we're just super into the conversation with them. We're just like, at the moment you you have a complaint with a feature, let us know and we'll fix it. And they've watched Mm -hmm. us fix them. So Mm -hmm. I get three emails a day from trainers saying like, hey, you guys should totally add this feature. So okay. we engaged our community really early on and not only engaged them, but also proved that if they have complaints or they have update requests, we will initiate those. So mm-hmm. whether it's through Instagram or through our chat bot or through email, we have trainers reaching out to us and telling us, hey, I want this feature. And on top of that, I still do two or three demo calls uh, a day just to make sure that I'm always constantly involved in the community. Um, mm-hmm. And each time I hop on a call, a trainer will say, do you have this? Do you have that? And I'll write down what they're asking and I'll use that feedback to actually you know, adjust what we're going to be doing for our product roadmap. Okay. So, and you put those right into backlog uh, on the, yeah, on the uh, program, yeah. on the sprint cycles. Okay. 
All right. So it's always interesting to hear what different ways founders communicate with their users, but it sounds like you have an effective dialogue already going with your users and you're listening. And is there there any way that you prioritize them? Do you sort of like put a value on each feature? You say, for example, like something that I've done in the past is saying, oh, that's great that you want that feature. Would you be willing to pay a year in advance or something like that? You know, so, mm-hmm. so they'd be, so, oh yeah, absolutely. I would do that. Would you, you know, like, and then you sign them up mm-hmm. a year in advance. If Maybe you haven't done that, but w- is there any way that you can sort of qualify each feature request? Um, People ask me that all the time. I don't have like a, a number system. We have an order that we go in with our roadmap. I don't have like a value to them. I will say there are values for certain features though. Like for example, um, we're going to be adding like custom branded apps, which trainers will pay like a hundred bucks extra per month to use that. So there's obviously a, quanti- a qualitative, quantitative, mm. one of the two, a value on that. And then, yeah, so I don't have a good answer for that because I really prioritize them based on feedback and based on like actual value that I know the trainers are going to get from this. But I, I guess I haven't done the best job of putting like an actual value on those. Okay. All right. That's good to know. So tell me um, the product at this point, you've pivoted away, you figured out that you need to build this platform that helps people mm-hmm. um, manage their clients. There's already a couple of competitors out there. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you know that you just knew that it's like, I know I can do a better job? Was it intimidating at all going into um, mm-hmm. a space that already had three or four competitors? Or were they just really not that good? Um, well, there's only one that we're still worried about to this day. Um, we, we have trainers that are canceling them to switch to us like every week. So we're not too worried about it Like all mm-hmm. uh, as far as like ev- like long term goes. But it was incredibly intimidating. Like, like I mentioned last May or whatever that was, when it just hit me, I was like, wow, this competitor does have a lot of features that we do not have right now. And it just kind of crushed me. So when I'm going calls and this one specific competitor, the trainer would say, I'm actually using them right now. And I would have to just go, I'd have to bow out. I have to be like, you know what, out of respect to you, we're actually going to be relaunching next January. Can I follow up with you when that launches? And they go, yeah, of course. Cool. So I would, I would build that relationship that way. Uh, We'd obviously have more of a longer call. But that's how the call would end. I just know out of respect to them, I didn't mm-hmm. want to waste their time because I know they would sign up. They go, oh, well, you don't have you knew documents. that that was better. The competitor was way better than anything that you had at that time. Yeah. So we had a better UX UI and we still definitely do. But like at a certain point when they have 20 clients, I, I would rather I would rather be honest with them and get their information and say, we're going to have a follow up call in six months, than move them to, to our older platform have them absolutely hate it and then never ever want to come back to it. Cause I just knew they, we didn't have what they wanted. This is just straight right, up, right. you know? So um, yeah, definitely intimidating when we were, we were for, not anymore, um, but we were first getting started for sure. Yeah. And how does it feel now? Like uh, now you, you feel like you're going head to head with that competitor or it feels great um, because so out of the other competitors, I can confidently hop on a call with a trainer or they, I can do a side-by-side comparison email or whatever we do and they'll switch every mm-hmm. time. I'm not worried about it. Like we crush really? them okay. in every category. Just, we just have such an easier to use app and our app actually makes sense on how the client uses it, how the trainer uses it. With this main competitor though, we're still about, I'd say a month and a half out with, we just have a couple more updates we need to add before we'll be confidently like, okay, let's go head to head with them. Mm-hmm. But to, with that being said, I'd say about 50% of the time, if we go head to head, the trainer will switch over. Okay. The biggest hurdle we have right now 
is figuring out switching costs and how we can get those trainers to switch over. Because I've had some trainers that have had like 70 clients on our main competitor and they'll pay, they would be paying us 150 bucks a month. And that's a great ad, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they're just like, I've got three years of data with my, I have their body weights. I have their progress photos. Oh, like, how do you yeah, want me yeah. to switch? So we're trying to figure out how to accomplish that now. Just now that we've migration. created a great platform. Exactly. Migrations. Yeah. How is the pricing then? Is it price per user? So if a trainer has 10 clients, they get charged $7 per client or something. And uh, mm. someone that has 120, is that how the pricing works? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, uh, yeah. So there's the different pricing tiers. Then we take a percentage of sales too. So we take like close to 1% of sales if they want to use our billing software with Stripe. And then on top of that, we charge, it's like if you have 10 clients, you'll pay 35 bucks a month. Um, and then on top of that, we're adding nutrition software this summer. And then that'll be like another 35 bucks a month for those clients too. So you'll be able to build okay. out full length fitness plans and then nutrition software with them. So I like that. It's, that's a good model. Anywhere where you can take a transaction fees is uh, absolutely is a smart way to go. We had a SaaS founder that does upsells in Shopify, and gotcha. he gets most of he now he is, is getting most of his funds from the transactions. How um how many customers do you think your competitor has? It sounds like they're old legacy system, and we were talking about like yeah. twenty thousand users, or what do they oh, have? They've got like a hundred thousand. They make millions well, per okay. year. Yeah. So um and actually I I know that we're our hours winding up, but I haven't touched on this. But actually, the biggest part of our years, we're actually expanding and becoming the platform for health and wellness professionals, and not just trainers. So we're expanding into physical therapists, nutritionists, health coaches, life coaches, all of the above. So we're doing that expansion in the fall. And basically the reason I'm doing that is because during those 500 calls that I have with trainers, I realized that not only are some of them also physical therapists or also nutritionists, but that entire industry, whether it's a physical therapy industry, uh, nutrition industry, either has no platform to run their business as far as web and mobile goes, or the platform they have is like one star in 10 years, 15 years outdated. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I found that trainers, physical therapists, nutritionists, they work together on the same clients, but there's no link to that client. It's like you're texting or you're emailing, you're like, yeah, hey, this client weighs this much and he's, you know, he works hard. I don't like, there's nothing, there's no form right. to connect them. So we're building a operating system and marketplace for a physical therapist, nutritionist, personal trainer to not only run their business and grow it, but also be able to collaborate with other professionals to co-work on the same clients. So that's our ultimate goal for the year. Okay, that sounds great. How is your growth right now? How is it being um, received mm-hmm. by the personal trainers? Yeah, they're absolutely loving the platform. Again, like we're we're constantly adding new updates, and like what's funny with the whole feature battle thing is, every week we add a new feature, we have another trainer that will switch because they're like, "Hey, I've been waiting for that." Like the group chat's a huge thing that we finally so, have. Uh, tell me about the group chat. Oh, so you're talking about it inside the app? How are you yeah. notifying these people that are sort of on the waiting list? Is this just like people sign up through some kind of a uh, lead magnet on the SaaS and wait for update or how are you notifying them? So I have a list of about 6,000 trainers that I've spoken with over the years, just like mm-hmm. especially early on with the marketplace. Um, and so we kind of have them all into tiers of what they're looking for. Like we have, you know, f- 400 trainers that are looking for that custom branded app that when we finally have that, we'll reach out to. I have a whole bunch of trainers that have complained and requested for the group inbox that we'll reach out to. Before we relaunched our calendars, we had trainers that had asked for the calendars, and so we reached out to them. So it's just a matter of kind of putting them into buckets and taking really diligent notes and asking surveys and that kind of stuff for what features that they're looking for, or like post-cancellation surveys, like why did you cancel? 
don't have a group inbox. Cool. Can we follow up? Okay. Cool. Yes, there you go. Okay. And how are you managing that? Like, how are you segmenting? Are you using like some kind of uh, automation and you just drop them in, mm-hmm. in a group? When- yeah, we just switched to PipeDrive. So I use PipeDrive for everything now, for my investor list, for my trainers, all of that. It was on HubSpot. So right now it's a little like funky because we're, we're currently still transferring all those trainers from HubSpot to PipeDrive, but I use PipeDrive okay. now. Okay, so pipe drive, and then you separate them in by categories. So this one mm. wants the group chat, and you have like 50 people just kind of waiting there to... Exactly, okay. yeah. Great. Yes, as you mentioned, we're getting close to the top of the hour, so I want to thank you for your time. Absolutely. Any other sort of hard-fought lessons that you can pass on to our listeners before you leave? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest one is definitely the MVP for any early founders, just figuring out how to get the minimum features. It's really called a minimum viable product for a reason. Like people are going to say, spend five or 10 K and you're going to go, no, I'm going to build a bigger, like literally spend five or 10 K build out that simple, simple platform. And the second thing is uh, really do diligent note taking when you're working with these calls, actually talk to your audience, like actually speak with surveys can only do so much, literally Mm -hmm. speak with someone and say, Hey, what's going on? Like, and ask them what they want, what we're missing. That's huge. And then another thing is like actually using the CRM like pipe drive funnels to actually bring people down the line. And for investors do that too. Like once I switch my investment, like whenever I reach out to investors, I'll put them into a bucket and then I'll move them down the line. If they're not interested, cool, move them to the recycle bin to follow up within two years or a year from now. Um, So actually just keeping organized with those funnels is huge for me. Okay. That's great advice. I especially like the uh, MVP advice. I mean, it sounds like Mm -hmm. Saved you at least a hundred. Don't get me started. Right? I have friends to this day that spend like three hundred grand, and I'm like, yeah, I told you. I hear about it too. I mean, sometimes oh. it works out, but you know, I'd rather yeah. be on the ten thousand side, and then the users telling me the features they want instead of me deciding what features I think they should want. You know, exactly. Especially. So great advice. Thank you so much for your time, Corey. Absolutely, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. And how can people find out more about you? It's obviously WeStriveApp.com. We'll put that in the show notes. But if somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm just Corey at WeStriveApp.com. If you want to send me an email, Corey.mf on Instagram and then Corey McCain on Twitter. Great. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.